You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. Wendy Ryan is on a mission. She's prepared to be vulnerable and inspirational. All of these good intentions are wrapped in good information, insightful takeaways, and questions that take your thinking deeper and deeper in her book, Learn, Lead, Lift, How to Think, Act, and Inspire Your Way to Greatness. I was intrigued by the deepening of my understanding of engaging cultural humility. I was inspired by how Wendy uses her skills to affect change rather than keep the status quo. Wendy, the CEO of Cadabra, a future-focused leadership and change consulting firm that's grounded in experiential insight, has inclusivity at the core of its values. Its mission is to grow exceptional leaders and teams. Cadabra's aim to facilitate an unprecedented surge of positive change and beginning in and around every organization that Cadabra serves. My guest today, author, angel investor, equity and inclusion advocate, Wendy Ryan is passionate about women-led companies and advocate for expanding diversity, equality, equity, inclusion and accessibility in investor and business ecosystems. Do we not need more of that? I say yes. So Wendy, you show up in this multidisciplinary way across a number of fronts in your life and leadership. My first question has to be, who is Wendy? Well, hello, Michelle. It's wonderful to be here with you. I am a white, hetero, cisgendered woman. I live in Silicon Valley, California, capital of startups and technology. And I am a mom of three and a wife. So in some ways, I am just your typical, ordinary, average, middle-aged person. And in other ways, I think I've had a life and a career that have been rather interesting and extraordinary. So it's, it's fun to kind of be holding space in both of those. Thank you. So just give us an idea of your leadership journey, because you now are the CEO of Cadabra. So where did you start? And just a little bit of a synopsis so people can actually see your journey. I think for me, leadership started very early. It's something I was always sort of naturally drawn to. And any organization that I joined as a young person or later as an adult, I usually end up leading the organization somehow. So whether it's volunteer or a paid arrangement. So there's something about leadership that naturally I gravitate toward, whether it's an opportunity for me to lead or throughout my career, helping other people figure out how to lead in a way that is more beneficial for them and for others. Thank you, Wendy. So before I start talking about your book, what has made you smile this summer? I think what's made me smile this summer, first of all, I have two of my children are in college. And so having them home Seeing them, even in one case for just a week or two, was such a joy. We forget sometimes when we're in the thick of parenting and family life and all the drama and the challenge around that, 
just how much we love our kids and miss them and having them back was just a joy for me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Anything exciting that you managed to do? Um, are you an adventurous mum or are you just an engaged mum in situ? I would say I'm an adventurous person. I'm not physically one that takes a lot of risks. When I was younger, I was a ballet dancer. And I think my body took a lot of wear and tear from that, which now I'm, I'm paying for a little bit as an adult. I have issues with my feet and my back and my neck and a lot of joint issues. So anything that involves like, you know, I, I will never be the one to run a marathon at this point or climb a mountain or anything like that. But I like to be spontaneous. I like to to hike. I like to go to the beach. I like to do things that are active and have a nice blend of active time and reflection time. So I think this summer, the big highlight in terms of adventure was discovering a place called Sea Ranch, which is on the northern coast of California. And it's one of the few places in the world where there are about 10 miles of contiguous trail right on the bluff of the ocean. So you literally can walk on a flat trail for almost 10 miles and see just incredible views of the ocean and cliffs. And it's, it's very quiet and beautiful. So it's a very nice place to reconnect with the natural world and the ocean in particular, if you're an ocean person as I am. Me too. I had my swim in the ocean and April and October, the whales come to visit and they're so close. You can see them breaching there. Yeah. It's just, I just find it's like magic. Well, I can't Amazing. resist. I can't resist. Wendy, you're the author of a best-selling book, Learn, Lead, Lift, How to Think, Act, and Inspire Your Way to Greatness that came out, I believe, May this year. Yes. The, the reviews, the reviews were calling this book brave, well-organized, a strategic read, compelling, thoroughly original. I mean, heavens, for a leadership book, who'd have thought, having read the book, I concur with all of it. In fact, I had to write a testimonial. I had to write a review. I was very inspired. So Wendy, why did you write this book and why now? I think there were two, two main reasons. One was really a personal one, which is that I, in 2018, I was starting to think about my 50th birthday. Yes, I'm 50. I'm now 52. And I had a, a sense that, you know, we should do something to mark this occasion. A half a century of life is is something. And I thought about all the different ways I could celebrate and am privileged to be able to entertain different things like take a trip, have a party. And what kept coming up for me is this real desire to reflect on and honor the opportunities that I've been given, the learnings that I've had, the people that have really challenged me, supported me, shaped my thinking along the way. And I've always been a writer. I've always liked writing and reading. So I thought, well, what if I wrote a book, something I had thought about for a long time? And I thought, you know, this is, this might just be the moment to do that. So it was kind of a mix of all of that on the personal side. And then I think professionally, I'm a person who likes to be on a learning curve all the time. And I was ready for the next learning curve. And so never having published a book before, I thought, this is a curve. This is, this is a little intimidating. It's a little scary. What if this book sucks and nobody likes it? 
right? So because I was a little scared and intimidated, I knew that that was probably something I needed to lean into and do. And I'm so glad I did. Well, I'm so grateful that you did. I celebrate your book. And one of the areas that most impressed me was how you spoke to post-traumatic growth and turning that into personal transformation. I mean, that's vulnerability and courage to put that out in a leadership book. I have a leadership podcast and had made a personal commitment to share secret thoughts and secret confessions. And the reason I did that was because I've reached this pinnacle and I've had these experiences. And I now have a philosophy of fail fast and quietly, but always share the learning, the growth of what you've gone through and the challenges so that people coming behind who are ready to appreciate or take your learning and translate it in their own lives. I just feel really responsible for doing that. So I really appreciate you putting the, touching on PTSD, post-traumatic growth and personal transformation because it needs to be in leadership books. Thank you. I, I strongly agree. I think we, we use the term trauma-informed a lot at Cadabra to talk about both leadership and how we want to help people show up, whether they are a leader or an individual contributor. It's such an important thing for all of us to become educated about, whether we identify as someone who has experienced trauma or not, because the reality is that given, especially the last year and a half with the pandemic, with our racial reckoning, Everyone has experienced some level of trauma and some people, because they have had intergenerational trauma or they've had adverse childhood events and then later adult trauma, are experiencing this pandemic and our racial reckoning in ways that are profoundly different and more challenging than people who haven't. And then on the flip side, you mentioned post-traumatic growth, which is something that I think is is both a hopeful perspective we can hold and keep in mind is that one of the outcomes of trauma is sometimes people do grow and are able to reach, you know, a different way of experiencing life that they ultimately say, hey, I feel like this is better than, than where I was before. But we can't ever take that for granted or look at that as, as a failure to experience that growth is somehow a personal failure. I don't know that anyone has really figured out what is the magic that has to happen that allows for post-traumatic growth. I think we have a lot of good theories and ideas, but there's no guarantee, and it's not necessarily something even to aspire to. When we recognize that we've experienced trauma, what we want and need is support and a path to recover from that, and that, that really is sufficient by itself, I think. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a grandmother. So I feel that grandmothers have this wonderful skill of listening conversations. We don't have to be lecturing and talking. We can actually be the ears that listen to other generations talk. Hopefully other people listen to us as well. But it's very valuable what you said, because I was widowed at 27 and I had to go into the work world to support my children. You know, issues with addictions like alcoholism in the family. I still had to function, you know, and, and I can either go through it or I could grow through it. For me, I'm a grow through it type person. And in fact, I really appreciate the resources you had in your book, like the, the one by Ryan, the mind mindset one. I'll let you speak to his name in a moment. But, you know, I have probably lived four lifetimes in this one. 
And when I did the quiz, which was very beneficial for me, it was a reality check. Like, oh my gosh, you know, the mindset, the growth areas where I needed to be, I was in actually the right place. So feeling contented, doing what I'm doing, it was really nice to just check in with that. And I was checking in to see what else could I need to do? Well, it was actually quite a surprise. It's not really a lot else I need to do. Although I know with mindset, this stuff can change. So I have the resource to go and check again. But why did you put mindset in what, like, and resources like that? Because again, that's very future facing and very helpful. Thank you. I, so you're talking about my colleague, Ryan Gottfriedson, and he's a professor at Cal State Fullerton who is doing and has done some incredible research and thinking in the area of mindsets. And so I had met, come across Ryan a few, few years ago, we met, and I was so impressed with his framework for mindsets that I knew it had to be part of my book. And I'm, I'm really delighted that Michelle, you got to take the, he offers a free assessment and we include that link in the book. And I, I'm so glad you availed yourself of that and, and were able to benefit. I know me and everyone on my team has taken it and yeah, it's absolutely the same. We've had many rich conversations about the learning and the insight, and we like to provide that to our clients as well. I think to your question about why is mindsets a, a key component of the book it's a key component of the Learn, Lead, Lift framework. So one way to think about the book is it's a collection of stories and lessons learned about leadership. But the organizing principle around that is the Learn, Lead, Lift framework, which is that great leadership depends on three elements working together. One is mindsets, which is how we think. So it's awareness of how we think and it's being able to adjust our thinking as we need to. The second area is skill sets, which is about what we know or know how to do. So sometimes that looks like emotional intelligence. Sometimes it looks like the skills we need to be a master carpenter, for example. So things that we can learn, knowledge we can acquire. And the third element is behaviors. And the acronym we use for that is called FIDA, uh, Focus, Integrity, Decisiveness, Authenticity, and Humility. And these are the ways that we show up to others that other people will say when we ask them the question, as I did, I did a lot of interviews for the book because I wanted to challenge my own assumptions about leadership. And when I would ask people, what does great leadership look like to you? How do you experience leaders that are great? FIDA is what really came out of that. It's very universal, no matter what the sector is or the industry or the geography that you're operating in, over and over people will say that humility in a leader is very important and that it distinguishes the great leaders from the not so great. To me, that's fascinating because our cultural narrative in the United States and a lot of other sort of British colonial type legacy countries and cultures is that we don't put humility forward as the key leadership quality that we necessarily tell people about or encourage people to develop. But when you ask a person on the street, what does great leadership look like? Nine times out of 10, humility will be part of the conversation. Absolutely. And we have five generations in the workforce now with Generation Z joining in 2018. And let me tell you, organizations have to pass the smell test. 
how, you know, to get that group of the world on board. So I think that's very important. And I really like your concept. I thought that was really helpful. You mentioned cultural competency. I was very pleased to see that. I mean, I'm based in a multinational little tiny island and we have hundreds of countries resident here. And I originate from New Zealand. So we have an indigenous group that was recognized very early, late last century in ways that were different from how native Indian people, Aborigines are recognized. So cultural humility is kind of a little bit baked in to Kiwi children from New Zealand. So cultural competency, I was really pleased to see that. What was the driver behind that? That to me, when I think about leadership and what is required for great leadership, what became really clear to me in the course of writing the book and doing the interviews and on reflecting on what does leadership need to look like now and into the future, cultural competence was very high on the list and cultural humility as well. And they're actually two different things. So cultural competence is knowing about other cultures, knowing about other identities and having the ability to interact with people who hold different identities and do that in a way that, again, you're not offending people, you're not denigrating people, you're making it comfortable to interact and work together. Cultural humility goes a little bit deeper and then it's about recognizing that my culture, I can be a very strong patriot. I can think that my country is the ideal country. However, I recognize that it's not the only way to think. It's not the only way to do things. And that I need to, if I really want to have the kinds of deep and meaningful and productive interactions with other people from other places that I want to have, I have to not center my identity. I have to not make everything about my identity. And I need to actively center identities that are traditionally residing more at the margins. So it's both of those things are important. And I really look at it now as a mindset. And so in the Learn, Lead, Lift framework, we talk about the mindset that identity matters. And the reason that I choose to describe it that way is deliberate. And it's about the fact that when I was coming up in my career, we were taught and we were expected to behave. I was in human resources as if we did not see color. You know, we did not notice that people were different. We were just supposed to all put our blinders on and ignore this because the assumption is that we live and work and compete in a meritocracy. Everybody's starting from the same place. Therefore, it would be rude to acknowledge difference. We know better now. I know better now. And the fact is we do have systemic oppression. We do have people whose experience is vastly different from my own. They hold different levels of privilege than I do. So it's, it's really important in leadership now and going into the future that we center identity, not our own identity, other people's identity, and we learn how to think in ways that are going to inform our interactions because we're aware of those other identities and what other people need and what they experience. And that is so 180 degrees different from what many of us were taught. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of your keynotes that caught my attention was future-proof your company by building brave cultures. That is just wonderful. So clearly you use your skills to affect change rather than keep the status quo. 
And I really appreciate your sharing with my global community, your unique contributions to life and leadership. And it's all about a conscious journey. Are there any other last words you'd like to share with my audience and also speak to the work that you do? Thank you. I think that all of us are on a journey, indeed, all the time. There, it's, there's no such thing as arriving to a finish line in leadership and, and being done. So I think holding that growth mindset always serves us well. There's always going to be more to learn. There's always going to be opportunity for growth. And so for a lot of us, that means that adjusting to the changes that are going on in the world around us means that we, we need to step back and we need to retool. We need to unlearn some things. We need to learn some new things. And so I would just say to people, whether you're picking up a copy of Learn, Lead, Lift, or you're looking at other resources, that this is absolutely a critically important time to be doing that. And be prepared that this won't be the last time you need to do that. So we can do a lot of that work ourselves by using the great resources that are out there. Some of that work really happens more effectively when we have support with a coach, a mentor, somebody who can help us hold up the mirror and reflect because it's really hard to see the water we're swimming in. It's really hard to see ourselves the way other people see us sometimes. So I would just encourage everyone listening to say, how can I enter into intention around being a great leader, if that's of interest to you, with some reflection time? And also, who am I going to work with that's going to help me get there? Who can be a partner for me or who can be some partners for me in that journey? I think both are really important. And Kadebra shows up in that space. So I will make sure that there are links in the show notes. So Wendy, thank you so much for your contributions. And I appreciate all that you do to serve this world leadership and keeping us on a conscious journey. Thank you, Michelle. It's such a pleasure to be here. Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe. Leave a review and a rating. But more importantly, share with your connections.